So as uh, Maggie just mentioned, uh, on Wednesday night, we celebrated the arrival of a new month. Does anyone know what month that is? December, that's right. No, just kidding. Uh, well, yes, yes, December, but also Kislev, Kislev. This month is referred to in Jewish tradition as the month of dreams. Did you know that? The month of dreams, yes. This is because uh, during this month, the Parsha readings in Genesis uh, include uh, at least 10 specific references to dreams. That's what we're going to be reading in the Torah. Um, raise your hand if you try to follow along in the Torah readings with what with the por- portion. It's, it's a really good thing to do, and it kind of keeps, keeps us in step with the larger Jewish community. Um, but anyway, so uh, if you're going to be reading along with us, which I encourage you to do, you're going to be reading all about dreams. And this, of course, includes the, the great story of Joseph and all of his dreams that he had and the dreams that he interpreted for Pharaoh. This season, it's also a season of miracles because this month, of, as we said, we'll be celebrating Hanukkah and Hashem's miraculous provision in times of pressure. And what is a miracle but a reminder that God created the, the rules, he created the laws of life and the laws of science, and he can also break them at any time because he's above them. So, you know, in the law of entropy, we see all things kind of moving toward death, moving toward chaos, but God is above those laws. He can reverse it. He can bring life and order and even resurrection. He can break the laws of gravity and walk on water. God can heal the sick. He can open the womb. He can shut the lion's mouth. He can multiply food. You know, there's physical laws that say if there, you, can't, you can't physically do that. You can't add matter if there's no matter there. But God can. So this is the month to dream dreams and to pursue vision, and to activate our faith, to trust, believe, and to worship Hashem. Today, I want to encourage us all to dare to dream. Say that with me. Dare to dream. Turn to someone else and say it. Dare to dream. All right? So uh, we're going to start off in the book of Joel. This is a really good book. Um, And the prophet there talks about something called the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. This day is very interesting in scripture. It's accompanied by judgment of sin, sweeping changes in the landscape, suffering, but also kind of paradoxically, uh, salvation and God's mercy and God's kindness and redemption. These two ideas are almost contradictory in a way. So we're going to take a look at that a little closer. So we're going to start in Joel chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. This is what it says. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending 
calamity. You see the two ideas there? Where we have judgment and calamity along with salvation and forgiveness. And the, both ideas are colliding on this day of the Lord concept. So why is this happening and how does this relate to dreams, daring to dream? Well, let's keep reading to find out. Let's uh, dig a little deeper. So Joel goes on. He further describes the day of the Lord in Joel. This is the same chapter, chapter 2, verses 23 and 25. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. And this is, this is really great. Let's say this together. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Turn to someone and say that. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locust and the young locust. The other locusts and the locust swarm. My great army that I sent among you. So the locusts here represent destruction as a result of disobedience. So in this context, not only is there provision in restoration, he's talking about the, the ladder rains and the, the storehouses and the threshing floors, but also redemption of the judgment and reversal of the previous consequence, the reversal of those mistakes. He says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. That means that God is able to reverse the negative consequences when we repent. Then comes a full mind-bending description of the day of the Lord. This is right after. This is in Joel 2, verses 28 through 32. It says, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men, do you see any of those, will dream dreams, old men and women. And your young men and women, any of those in the house, will do what? See visions. Even on my servants, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heaven and on the earth. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now we have an outpouring of God's Spirit. We have incredible signs of destruction in the skies judgment and finality along with salvation and deliverance and in the midst of this is the theme of our sermon an increase an overflow of dreams and visions my sense is that there are two reasons for these contradictory or seemingly contradictory themes in the day of the lord number one the holy presence of god itself carries both of these ideas god is holy and awesome and terrifying in his power, but also at once he's full of mercy and compassion. When the Lord shows up, redemption and judgment are in his hands, two complementary sides of a loving and holy God. God will judge us, but he also has mercy on us. Both are part of his nature. 
The presence of God is at one time awesome, terrifying, holy, compassionate, and saving. He's all of those things. When the Lord himself comes to intervene in human history, he brings about his redemptive plan to punish evil, but also to show compassion for those who repent, for those who seek him. The other reason I believe that these are kind of uh, contradictory terms, uh, at least they seem to be that way, um, is that in the world of, of prophecy, in the prophets, sometimes there is a partial fulfillment at one time and then a complete fulfillment later on. Uh, the day of the Lord uh, may have contradictory explanations because it was partially fulfilled at one time and then maybe completely fulfilled later. So why do I say this? Because this exact scripture was partially fulfilled in the book of Acts. This is what Peter quotes when, uh, during Shavuot, when the Ruach falls on all the people there during Pentecost. He quotes Joel. He says, this is what's happening. And he says, um, well, let's, let's pull it up. Uh, can we pull up the, uh, the last thing we read? This is what Peter quotes in Acts 2. Um, go back. He says, this is what's happening. So we can imagine Peter quoting Joel. Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions, even on my servants. Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Let's just leave that up for a second, okay? Um, now, in Acts, does the Lord pour out his spirit at that time? Yes, right? Does the Lord darken the sun and turn the moon to blood in Acts? No, not really. Do the servants of Hashem start to receive visions and dreams in more fullness at that time? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. But not all of the signs are there, right? So we must presume that they are completely fulfilled at a later time because this is God's word. It's going to happen. There is also precedence for this in Scripture. Thank you. You can take it down. Yeshua fulfilled certain things in his first coming to show that he was the Messiah. He healed the blind, for example. He brought the fullness of the meaning of Torah. He died and atoned for our sins on the tree. But he didn't do everything that the Messiah is supposed to do. Uh, he didn't bring all things under the dominion of God fully. He doesn't rule and reign over the whole earth from a new Jerusalem, at least not yet. So this, we must assume, will happen the second time that he comes. So to sum up, these seeming contradictions in the day of the Lord make more sense in light of, one, God's holy and compassionate nature, and two, in light of the idea that prophecies are sometimes partially fulfilled in history and then more completely fulfilled later. But how does this relate to dreams and visions? The day of the Lord has come. It has come, at least in part, during Shavuot in Acts 2. 
In Joel's prophecy, we see the outpouring of dreams and visions for God's people by the Ruach HaKodesh. But why is this unusual? Well, throughout the Tanakh, if you read through, um, most of the time, visions and dreams came only to a couple people, right? To the prophet or maybe to Joseph. But uh, the text in Joel, which is fulfilled in Acts, says, Even on my servants, all of my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Meaning the fullness of this pouring out is no longer limited to just a few. Rather, it has expanded from that point in history during that Shavuot in Acts 2 because it includes all disciples of Yeshua, includes all of us. Therefore, we should dare to dream because God has poured out his spirit on us to have revelation and vision from him. Now, when I'm talking about dreams and visions, I don't just mean those that happen to us while we're asleep. A dream or vision, if it's from God, can be revealed anytime if our ears and our eyes are open to God's revelation. Many times this could be an actual dream while we're asleep, or it could be during the day as well, with God whispering his plans in our ears. But you may protest, how can I dare to dream? How can I dare to envision when there's so much opposition all the time? There's so much struggle in this world. Honestly, resistance may be a sign that you're heading in the right direction. Consider Joseph, who we're going to read about this month. Consider Joseph. He shared his dreams with his brothers and father. Someday, he was going to rule over them. What was the next thing that happened? Not the fulfillment of that dream, but almost the exact opposite, right? His brother said, let's get that dreamer, right? And they throw him in a well where he is left for dead, and then he gets sold into slavery. That doesn't seem like ruling over anybody to me. Of course, we know the end of the story. Consider the narratives of Ezra and Nehemiah, who received clear vision from Hashem to rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem, but they come upon setback after setback, delays and opposition and frustrations. Consider Yeshua's statement about Lazarus in John 11, verse 4. He says, this sickness will not end in death. Well, what's the next thing that happens? Death. <laughs> Lazarus dies, right? Only to be raised by Yeshua later. I'm sure if we were present at the time, we'd have something to say to Yeshua about this statement. You know, listen, I know you said the sickness wouldn't end in death, but it, it seems like we're kind of going in the wrong direction here, right? But... Of course, he's over that prophecy. He knows better than us. In scripture, vision following is never a straight line. So it requires a little bit of holy chutzpah, some clinging, some clinging to the promises and faithfulness of God, some long suffering through challenges. And what about the Tikvot Israel community? Have we received vision for this place? First, of course, we had Mo's vision, where the star of David behind you would be pulsing with light, drawing Jewish people here. Has this come to pass? 
yes, somewhat, but I don't think in fullness yet. Consider our vision that the elders uh, that we came up with to bridge and restore relationship between Yeshua, the Jewish people, and the nations. We know there's going to be some setbacks there, but Hashem will do it because this is the vision he has given us as a community. Scripture says in Ephesians 3.20 that God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Say more than we can ever ask or imagine to somebody. You sound good. So if that's true, why not dream bigger? Why not ask God for a more impossible vision of the future? If we dare to dream, we can leap over a wall. You know, King David wrote this line in a psalm. He says, with my God, I can leap over a wall. And maybe he meant it as a metaphor. I don't know. But I, I read an account once of someone that actually did that. He was uh, imprisoned for, being, uh, for his beliefs, for being a follower of Yeshua. And he literally leapt over a wall to get out because God let him out. So what about a personal vision for our lives? What if we were to walk in the fullness of our identity and calling? What would that look like? What if we took our relationship with God as seriously as we take anything else? What if God used us to reach nations, to bring massive healing, to raise the dead, to restore broken people back to God, to speak life, to be world changers? If Acts 2 is still valid, and I believe that it is, then the Ruach can and will pour out on us today so that our older men and women are dreaming dreams and our younger men and women are envisioning visions from God. When we press, when we press in to the other side of opposition, even when there is that that challenge, the vision is often half fulfilled, as we've seen. That's sort of the pattern. So that means what? We have to press through until it's completely fulfilled. He's left a lot of these promises and scriptures undone. And we it's our job, I think, to press toward the, fil- the fullness. We're going to, as I said, we're going to be reading through the life of Joseph. Think about, think about the arc of his life. It's like he gets the dream, and then he gets thrown in the well, right? And then, oh, he's saved, right? And he goes to work for Potiphar. But then, and he's getting some favor, but then he goes into the dungeon for three years. So it's like, it's like this, right? Until he presses through to the other side, and the Lord raises him up, to be the prime minister of Egypt and bring salvation to the 12 tribes and all the known world, right? That's the arc sometimes that our lives can have. So we have to press in. As we do that, please pray for us, pray for us as leaders to continue to receive vision from God for our community and that we would hold fast to it. I would love to see, I want to see extraordinary things. And may this month of Kislev, or December, the month of dreams, be the start of us daring to dream, receiving vision, 
and pursuing it with faith and trust. Do we say amen? Do we agree? All right. Amen. Abba, we thank you uh, for your vision that you've put in your word, oh God, and these principles. And we pray that you would strengthen us in our inner person to pursue, to go further, Lord, to not be content with half of the prophecy fulfilled, but to push forward until it's all fulfilled. The fullness of Mo's vision, the fullness of all the visions that you've given to the leaders here over the years come to pass, oh God, in your time. Use us, Lord. We say yes to you. We are willing vessels. We love you, God. Thank you for your resurrection power working in us. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.